0: So, Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth, the meditation of our hearts would be pleasing to you. Oh, Lord, I pray that you would speak through your word to help us to come to know and experience you as Father. Amen. So, uh, when you have no idea what to do, most of us, we go to an expert. When you don't know what to do, you go to an expert. A couple years ago, I had this pain in my right elbow. Some of you heard about it because it was a very nagging annoying pain in my right elbow and my right shoulder, and it kept bothering me, and I rested it. Uh, I rehabbed it. I rested it some more, and I finally got to the point where I didn't know what to do. It, It just wouldn't get better, and so thanks be to God, here we are in North Texas. I could find an elbow expert at UT Southwestern. Isn't that awesome? This is all he's done his whole career for like 40 years is help people's elbows get better, so I went and I saw him, And uh, he did a really thorough physical examination. He eventually ended up having to order an MRI, and I sat down with this expert. Um, I never said anything about my wife having any medical training. I certainly didn't have any medical training. I think he was just kind of enjoying himself that day. He pulled up the MRI report, and he sort of with a grin, he says, well, you, you, you see what's wrong, right? And I was like, no, I I have no idea looking at that thing you're showing me to understand what's wrong with me. And he says, well, it tells you on the report. Have you read the report? He was just feeling pretty saucy that morning, I guess. And I I said, well, which, which part? He said this part. He says, the abnormal thickening and increased signal intensity within the common extensor origin from the lateral epicondyle. And he was like, and I said... I have no idea what you just said to me. Like, no idea at all. He said, you have tennis elbow. <laughs> like like a really, really bad case of tennis elbow. Oh, okay. Uh, in fact, not only do you have a, a severe case, but it's possible... Even though this only happens for like 1% of the human population, you may end up needing surgery if it won't heal on its own. When you don't know what to do, you go to an expert. And in this case, the expert not only knew how to diagnose the problem, the wound, but this expert knew how to bring healing to the wound. I think the disciples were kind of like that. I think we are a lot like that when it comes to the subject of prayer. When you don't know what to do, and we often don't when it comes to prayer, you need to go to an expert. Um, they were talking about prayer. They had seen Jesus pray. And if you're like me throughout your Christian life, if you are a follower of Christ, there's times in your life where maybe you have found prayer to be incredibly refreshing and life-giving and at other times, totally dry and boring. Sometimes it may feel easy. Sometimes it may feel totally impossible. How do we pray? Well, we need to hear from not just the expert, but from Jesus Christ himself. And thanks be to God, this, this one not only knows how to diagnose the wound, but he knows and he has the power to bring deep healing into our lives. You might be thinking, gosh, uh, a, a sermon. No, it's not just a sermon, a series on prayer. Man, I've got a lot of other things going on in my life You know that I would love to hear a talk about, like finances or something to do with human sexuality or conflict or relationships or how to find the right job or some practical thing. I'm kind of disappointed that you're telling me, Brian, that you're gonna talk about prayer for seven weeks. Well, I I want to contend that this subject, this subject on prayer is the most important priority for you and for me. There is no more important thing that I could talk about that we could study and learn from Jesus than what it looks like to live a life of prayer. Why would I make such a claim? We're gonna be making it for seven weeks. Let Let me say a couple things about it. It is in prayer that you and I come to experience the God of the universe. We don't just know about him, but God makes himself known in a personal encounter through prayer. It's how we come to know and experience God. Prayer is that important. Did you know that it's through prayer that we not only come to know who God is, but that we actually begin to see ourselves as we are. Uh, The psalmist, as he writes, one of the reasons we're doing a course on the psalms is things like this, that God, you search me and you know me. You know my rising, you know my life. It's in the life of prayer that our own lives and hearts are sort of put under God's searchlight. And we not only come to know who he is, but we come to know who we are. And then thirdly, Prayer is how we experience change and transformation. My parents, I growing up as a kid, I, you know little knickknacks that your parents had around their house? Like just little things that it, you, you can go back and go, I remember that, that goofy whatever it was for you. Well, this wasn't goofy. We had this little placard that even though we moved a lot, it would always find a prominent place in our home. And, and it said in three simple words, prayer changes things. And I remember learning that from my mom and dad, that that this this would be a home that when we didn't know what to do, we knew who to talk to and he cared. And he had the power to do something about what we were going through. It's how we come to know who God is experientially. It's how we come to see ourselves as we are and it's how he brings about transformation in our lives. It's a really big deal, the life of prayer. And so, how do we do it? Well, the next seven weeks, we're going to be walking through what's called the Lord's Prayer. Really, you, you could call it the Disciples' Prayer. This is how, when, when, when the disciples saw the life of Jesus, they said, teach us to pray. And th- this, what we're going to study, was his answer. It's like if you could sign up for a seminar for Jesus, this is it. This is how you live a life of of prayer. Look at verse 1 of chapter 11. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place and when we had when he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, "Lord, would you teach us to pray?" Just as John taught his disciples. So Jesus is praying in this instance, they're watching him pray and they're kind of wondering, "How does he do that? How is he talking and listening and he's still going. How does he do that? It mesmerized them. They could see that prayer was the source of everything Jesus did, everything Jesus said, everything Jesus had. Prayer was the source. Jesus says as much throughout his life that he only says the things that he hears from the Father, that he only does the things that he learns from the Father, that Everything he has, Jesus says, he learned from the Father. He was given by the Father. That they could see that prayer was the wellspring of the life of Jesus Christ. And they wanted to understand, could, could we learn to pray like you? Could we learn to have this deep connection with the God of the universe like you have? They could see this in him. And so how, to, how did he teach his disciples how to pray? And I want, I want to tell you, no matter how many times you've recited it, no matter, no matter how many times you've studied it, for Father David and some of you, 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 you've done a whole course on this, maybe you've taught courses on it, there is more here for you as we walk through this prayer. And here's, the, here's where we start. We're going to start this morning, I might make you a little nervous about a seven-week plan because we're only going to get through one word today. And that word is the starting point for a life of Christian prayer. But let me tell you, it's the starting point for the Christian life. And that word is Father. The life of prayer, the Christian life, begins with knowing God as our Father. Jesus says, I want you to know and to call on God as Father. This is the starting point. And what I didn't know until I began to study this prayer much more closely is that this was a radical thing for Jesus to teach his disciples. No respectable Jewish rabbi would have called God father. Who did they have as their father? If you know anything about the biblical narrative, they would refer to Abraham as their father. In in the Old Testament, Uh, The famous preacher Haddon Robinson points this out. He says, in the Old Testament, anytime you heard the word father daring to be used in relation to God, in every case, it's a community of people referring to God in this way. It is not personal address. Yahweh, Lord, God Almighty, all these other phrases, but this personal address of father, well, no no one prayed that way. And Jesus says, That's how I pray. And I want you all to know how to pray to God as father with that deeply personal way of relating to him. Did you know that this is actually what cost Jesus his own life? It was his way of referring to God, the God of the universe, as his father that cost him his own life. Look at this passage in John John 5. It says that Jesus was healing on the Sabbath, and because he was doing that, all the religious leaders began to persecute him. And In his defense, Jesus said to them, my father is always at work to this very day, and so I too am working. And then look at what, he said, what it says in verse 18. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself an heir, a son. They said equal to God, prayer begins with father. That's how Jesus did it. And that's how he wanted to teach his disciples to do it. It's not just How we pray, though, it's actually the starting point for the entire Christian life. This this beautiful reality that you and I don't have to work to get God's attention. My son and daughter don't have to work to get my attention. They don't have to twist my arm to get an audience with me. And Jesus uses this human institution that we know, that, that even though it gets broken often in this sinful world, he uses it to say, God's like, like a perfect father. If you didn't hear the news last Thursday, the Queen of England died. I, I hope you've, you, you knew that before now. Um, uh, Queen Elizabeth II uh, died peacefully last Thursday. And if, you, if you've seen the news, I, it's been interesting as, um, I don't know if this is common in Britain, but at least the American news feeds, it's like you're getting a, a, a little bit of training in royal succession plans and how royal inheritance works. Um, In my remaining time this morning, as we talk about God as Father, I wanna say a few things about royalty. What it means that we, only through faith in Christ, can call on the King of Kings, the God of the universe, as, I know you'll wanna dismiss me, as Papa, as Abba, as Dad, John 1.12 says, all who received him, speaking of Jesus Christ, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. This shows us that everyone can call on the name of the Lord and become a child of God. But it's only those who have come to know and believe Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord have this joyful, royal inheritance as children. Do you know God as Father? The New Testament language that's used for this is actually the legal institution and gift of what we know today as adoption. And the epistle reading that we've heard from Galatians is one of the best summaries of this understanding But when in the fullness of time, it says God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as, in some translations, will make it gender neutral children or sons. But Paul's actually trying to make the case that the way in which his culture practices the legal institution of adoption, which was done only with males, is now done in the kingdom of God to all men and women, they're treated as full heirs and full children. And it says here, let me finish reading in verse six, God sent the spirit of his own son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son or daughter. And if a son or daughter, then you are an heir through God. Now that, that's pretty amazing. What does it mean to have God as father? I wanna say three things. Uh, I'll just be briefly on each one. The first one is because God is our father, we have a royal Inheritance. Because God is our father, we have a royal inheritance. One of the headlines that uh, I saw this last week was Queen Elizabeth II has just died. Here's what will happen to her $5 million fortune, personal fortune. The family business is worth 28 billion, but her personal assets are 500 million. What happens to that royal inheritance? You know, if I gave all of you this morning, like this is like an Oprah show, you remember that back in the day? And it was like, you get $10,000 and you get a car. Like if we did that, I don't know what the amount would need to be, but maybe that would be enough. Like everybody gets 10 grand. You'd kind of walk out of here a little excited. You'd walk out of here a little bit taller. How much more, those of us who have been made co-heirs with Christ, co-heirs with Christ, Oh my, oh my goodness, we, we have a royal inheritance. We're sons and daughters of the God of the universe, the creator of all things, all that is his. Remember what he says to the prodigal sons? He says to the eldest son, everything I have is yours. And I'm with you all the time. Son, you, son or daughter, you have a royal inheritance. What difference should this make in how you and I live? Well, um, one helpful illustration might be if you had like a $500 million Swiss bank account or British bank account, like it was yours. It was secure. It was done. Like you didn't need to do anything. It's done. It's yours. Okay. And little things happen to you here. Um, Somebody steals 20 bucks from you. Would you just totally lose your cool? Well, of course not. You've got this like a, 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 such a massive amount of wealth that, that that little tiny withdrawal would just like repel off of you. It just wouldn't have much of an impact on you. So why do we struggle so much to see ourselves as a child of God? Why is it that if you don't get that job you're looking for or, you know, your hair starts thinning and getting gray before you want it to or you gain 10 pounds or, or something happens in your life that's this little withdrawal and all of a sudden we no longer are standing tall as children sons and daughters of the most high why is it why is it that we struggle to understand that we have a royal inheritance so what are you trusting in for your identity you're a child you are a royal heir the god of the universe is your dad and he thinks you're precious Secondly, because God is our Father, we have not only a royal inheritance, we have royal access. Access. The word that's used is Abba. It's it's an interesting little word. Uh, You don't even need teeth to say this word. Like a baby, a baby can say this word. That's how primal the relationship is. That's how elementary the relationship is. I love these words from Jesus in John. I'm trying to highlight a few moments of Jesus's prayer life throughout the sermon so that you'll get the idea. He called God his father. He always called on God as father. Look at what he says in in John 11. I believe it'll be up. If not, you can hear me read it. Then Jesus looked up and he said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here that they might believe that you sent me. Jesus says, because I start all of my prayers with Father, because I am his son, he knows that he's heard. He knows that he doesn't have to twist the father's arm. He knows that he has royal access, if you will. And so in your prayer, do you start start your prayers with Father? Now, obviously, I don't just mean mechanically. Like, here's the mechanical thing. I've joked over the years about, like, have you ever heard a mechanical Description of a kiss. Um, It's not very attractive. uh, But you remember your first kiss. Um, In the same way, this is not like some mechanical, like, well, if you'll say father and then say this, and here's the equation, then there you go. You'll feel like a son or a daughter the rest of the day. It's not just a mechanical thing, but do you know and do you relate to God as Father? Not just the word, but pausing and realizing: I have a royal inheritance. My future is totally secure. I have royal access. Too often, our image of God and our image of self doesn't line up with this. And we often don't think that he cares. We don't think that he really finds us to be particularly interesting or certainly not precious. And so could I just say, would you ask for help if that's you? This is the most basic elemental aspect of being a follower of Jesus is that you would know him as father. There's no other relationship in the universe like this. Um, To have God as father means that there's nothing that you can do to change his commitment to you or your access to him. You have this royal inheritance, this royal access, and then lastly and briefly, you have God is Father, this means that you have a royal name. We have a royal name, a royal identity. Galatians and Romans that talk about this, we're no longer slaves, we're sons and daughters. This means our self performance, our, our, our self identity is not connected to performance. We're, we've been given this gift of adoption. You know, I mean, Tucker and Emory don't have to do anything to be my children to bear my name. And the same is true for us who are children of God. We can ask for things that we need when we have him as father. We can be open with him about our struggles. Uh, We can be secure in our identity, our, our royal name, because we have God as father. Why is this so? Well, Jesus leading up throughout his whole life, he always refers, go back and look with me. Go back and read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and look at every time Jesus prays and every time Jesus calls him Father, except one. You know what that one moment is? He still has a a right relationship to God, but he cries out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's on the cross that, that he's abandoned as a son so that you and I no longer have to be orphans. He still says, My God, my God, but but he, he, gets, he gets abandoned so that we can be brought in. He gets cast out temporarily so that we can be embraced forever. And when you when you begin to see this, when you begin to see that it was for the joy that he endured this cross to make you and I sons and daughters, it it'll it'll change you. It, it'll, it'll resituate you such that you begin to realize that you are now in. Christ. And because you're in Christ, you're a son or daughter. <clears throat> I want to close by sharing a little story. When we moved back from, uh, we lived out of state, we moved back to Texas. I went on staff at a church in Dallas, and um, God brought about a number of uh, special people in my life. Uh, one individual was on staff with me. Uh, he was a, a very successful businessman in Dallas, uh, a managing partner for a global company. Uh, He's one of those guys that, like, retired at 50 because he had just made it from a worldly perspective, but way more important than that, he knew that he was a son of the God Most High and was emotionally healthy, was spiritually healthy and vibrant, and he and his wife, at a certain point, felt led to adopt, Uh, and they ended up finding uh, two children um, uh, somewhere in Eastern Europe. The oldest, Andre, was eight, and the youngest was five years or so younger than that, and um, they had basically lived in and out of shelters. They had not been with like one shelter their whole life. They had kind of been on the streets a little bit, then in an orphanage, and it was kind of a tough situation. And by God's grace, they were adopted by, by my friend and his, uh, his wife. They had a loving father and mother. And um, by no effort and energy of their own doing, he made Andre and his little sister his legal children. They hadn't done anything He adopted them. It was a gift, and um, everything that was his now became theirs. They had a new name. They had a new inheritance. They had new access to this mother and father, this husband and wife that wanted to care and be guardians for Well, I happened to meet my friend right in the middle of the late teens of the eldest son, and things weren't going well. And they weren't going well because the trauma of being an orphan was still with him. And and he was acting out at school and and, in public places, and he would say things to my friend like, you're not my father. Even though my friend had given up everything that he had to try to love and care and steward and raise this son of his. And he just felt really alone. And thankfully, through counseling and therapy and all that, my friend was able to sit down and sometimes have conversations and say, "Son, where's this coming from? Where's this coming from?" And Andre, on one on one occasion that my friend shared with me, said, um, "He didn't say dad, but he said, 'You you don't know what I've been through.'" And he began as a 17 or 18 year old to recount nights in the winter where. They didn't have the right clothing. They didn't have shelter. They didn't have a roof on their head. They would climb under a park bench and he would lay on top of his little sister to keep her from freezing to death overnight. And this was so deeply ingrained into Andre that he didn't feel like a son or daughter. I don't know about you, but I can relate to him. That because because of what, I wasn't an orphan in Eastern Europe and as far as I know, most of you weren't. But the story, the story of us, the story of the human race is one of an orphan spirit. And and because of the trauma of sin and shame, because of the lies of the enemy, we come to this place often where we feel like, man, I'm just totally alone. Nobody's just 100% for me. And thankfully, that father was able to say to that son, well, you, you may kick and scream and yell at me, but I'm not, I'm not moving. I, I'm not going anywhere. What about you? Do you know God as Father? Do you, know, do you know the royal inheritance that's yours? Is it causing you to stand tall in your daily life? Do you know the, the royal access that's yours, that you can call on him, and he wants you to call on him regularly, daily, moment by moment? that you can live from this place where you start every day and end every day with Father. This is the beginning of a life of prayer, and this is the beginning of the Christian life, to know him as Father. Now, what I'd like for you to do is spend some time letting that sink in. Instead of doing our usual standing and proclaiming the creed, which we do every week, I'm going to ask you to sit there, and would you, uh, would you maybe reach out and ask the Father to speak to you? There's a little song that my friend Jared uh, passed on to me called, How to Be Yours. And we're going to play that song for the next few minutes before we go into a time of prayer. How to Be Yours, and it's written from an orphan that doesn't know how to let God's love speak into his life. And then you're going to hear the voice of the Lord and what the Father says to this child. And so would you would you go into a time of just just you, personal time of prayer between you and your Father as we sit with this song this morning.
1: I don't know how to be yours You say that you want me, don't say that you want me cause I don't know how to be yours yeah, I still act like an orphan I guess And my heart, heart breaks to confess That even while I cry on the floor I still confess that even while So love me or hate me, I'm not going anywhere. Leave me or take me, you still bear my signature. Know me or not, seen or forgotten, I walk.